0: All right, up first we have Daniel. Daniel wrote in and said, A Gallup poll found that millions of people from the third world would like to move to the United States if given the opportunity. Given that, is anarchy globalistic or nationalistic in nature? That's from Daniel.
1: Hey, Daniel. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing
1: well. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. So... Anarchy is neither globalistic nor nationalistic. Anarchy is philosophical. Anarchy is the recognition that the moral laws, what I call universally preferable behavior, the non-initiation of force and keeping your promises so someone, that they are universals and therefore apply across the world, across the universe, uh, and through time. So it's like saying, is science or reason globalistic or nationalistic in nature? Uh, so that's the theory, but... Um, I, I understand what you mean, and I'm not trying to wriggle out of that question, because the more important question, if I understand it, is um, how does a voluntary or peaceful or stateless society survive in a world where hundreds of millions of people want to come into that free society, but who are unlikely to succeed, to put it as nicely as possible, in that free society? Is that what you mean?
0: Uh I suppose
1: so, yeah. Don't suppose. Tell me if it's what you mean or not, and if it's not, we'll change. I just don't <laughs> want to go off on a direction that you're not behind me with.
0: Um, yeah, well, I've been reading um, Practical Anarchy. I've read um, Everyday Anarchy before, and uh, it wasn't really touched on, so I was kind of curious about it. No, I get
1: that. But um, so I, I'm, I may have just answered the question that it's a, a set of philosophical arguments and therefore is neither globalistic nor nationalistic any more than science or reason or math would be. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to ask? <laughs> uh,
0: not really, no.
1: Okay. Wow. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad that we got that sorted out. Thanks very much for your call. Let's move on to the next caller.
0: Okay. Thank you. Oh, right up next we have Blanche. Blanche wrote in and said, "'My daughter is three years old, "'and we are following the non-aggression principle "'and using gentle parenting techniques. "'We try to be honest and forthcoming "'in all of our decisions, "'and it seems cruel to me to be lying to her about Santa. "'I don't want to deprive her of the magic "'and fun of the holiday, "'but I also do not want to impair "'or damage the trust we have been working "'so hard to maintain. "'I should make note that we are also attend church services.'" I would not say we are overly religious. Our discussions are very superficial. My husband and I have our beliefs, but neither of us have wanted to force them upon her. I realize that just by taking her to church, that is precisely what we are doing. I have conflicting thoughts on this Santa situation. I do not know with certainty that God does not exist. I would like to believe that he does. But with Santa, we all know he doesn't really exist. So how can I justify, one but not the other? Am I a hypocrite for allowing her to believe in Jesus, but not Santa? I never want to tell her what to believe, but my struggle comes from knowingly lying to her. Is it possible to tell the story of St. Nick with keeping him in the make-believe world? That's from Blanche.
1: Blanche, uh, how are you doing tonight?
2: I'm good, how are you?
0: I'm
1: well. I'm I'm driving all thoughts of Tennessee Williams from my head. Stella! Anyway, so... um. <laughs> It's a great question. And I really, really appreciate obviously the the sensitivity and the integrity of of calling in to, to chat about this. Is there anything that you wanted to add to your question?
2: Not really. Um I just keep grappling with this in my mind. And right. I think a lot of people don't really they kind of have like the thing of like, ah, they're children, it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt them, you know, let them have fun but i think that people just in general are too cavalier about the mindset of of children and i want to be sensitive to it and really explore the issue i mean she's 3 this is the first year where she's getting really excited about it so i'd like some guidance and feedback and so forth so
1: right i you, the the first thing that struck me was that we don't ever want to be perceived as really good at lying by those who love us right right Right, because if you are going to go like all in real Santa world, you are going to be looking your daughter, you know, directly in the eye, telling her about Santa Claus and chimneys and coal and nice and naughty lists or whatever it's going to be. That the guy in the mall reeking of bourbon is actually Santa Claus, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so you have to look at, like, you have to sell it to your daughter. You have to make it real for her. And... It's kind of chilling. Like, I'm really bad at that myself. <laughs> One of the reasons why I choose to be honest, okay, there's the moral argument, and I, I'm down with that. But another thing is there's the incompetence argument that I'm just really terrible at lying, <laughs> just terrible at it. The other day, um, my daughter doesn't do sugar, sort of Monday to Friday, a little bit on the weekend. And I sort of joined, I, I've joined her, and I've cut back on sugar a lot. But anyway, I just needed a bit of a boost. And I grabbed a little piece of chocolate, walked into the living room. My daughter looks up and says, what's in your mouth, Dad? Now, this is a small piece of chocolate. How does she know? How does she know? Am I see-through? Am I like one of those clear frogs? Am I some anatomical learning specimen you see me swallow and the um goes down <laughs> into my tube belly? Anyway, so, um, more <laughs> so, open your mouth, let me see. So I'm just bad at, at it all around. So I sort of choose to do the truth in the same way that I choose to do philosophy rather than ballet. I'm just better at one <laughs> than the other. So of course, if you have, uh, if your daughter um, has a memory of you very believably lying to her. Because if she knows you're lying, then it's kind of weird up front, right? So you really have to sell it to her and you really have to commit to it. And that's kind of chilling for a child to know. The parent can tell you something that turns out to be completely false and you swallow it whole, right? Right. It, it, it's a sense of, it's the self-trust. I can't tell when someone's lying to me. And and then the next things that you tell her, that will always be in the back of her mind, Right. Is she, is this another thing like Santa? Because I believe her, but at the same time, right? Or is she going to get this um, idea, right? That it's, it's okay to lie if it's um, entertaining. And well, I guess she'll be an actress then. <laughs> but um, so, so that, yeah, the, the, the trust stuff that you're working on, I think is important. But here's the, to me, the more important question and this ties into Jesus, but we'll start with Santa because it's a little easier. But um
2: <laughs> <I> agreed.
1: <laughs> what do you want your daughter to receive from the story of Santa? What what experience, thoughts, and feelings would you like her to experience on on hearing and believing this story at the moment?
2: I think what I like the most about that story is that is the giving part. You know, you are given something, um, not necessarily because you're good, but I like the, the giving aspect of, of St. Nick, you know, of, of rewarding. I guess rewarding is the wrong word, but just the generosity of it. And I like the surprise element of, of Santa Claus. And, um, not knowing what you're going to receive, but it's you know it's it's a gift and you don't really know where it came from or or who it's from. But I don't necessarily, but I I, I, sh- I struggle in, and especially now like I'm I'm struggling with because there's so much make believe everywhere, you know, flying reindeer. like I think I could I could get around the whole flying reindeer and whatever. But I still don't like it seems like everybody gets so upset because you're taking away all of the magic. But I think that you can still demonstrate the giving and the surprise and the excitement without the flying reindeer and big fat lies.
1: Right. Do you want your daughter to believe in magic? I'd have to- Let's take take taking religion sorry Blanche taking religion out of the equation for the moment do you want her to believe in magic No Right good <laughs> good good no. I I agree with you completely you know um magical thinking is used by mental health professionals to denote a disorder in the mind magical thinking is a disorder, a significant, I don't know if it's pathological, but it damn well should be, but it is a significantly difficult and dangerous state of mind, magical thinking.
2: I mean, I feel, Um, I, one reason why I appeal so much to your show is because it's dealt, I mean, it's facts, it's reason, it's logical arguments. And so to me, like magic and all of that is just nonsense. And so I have a really- Well,
1: no, no, it's more than nonsense. Um, it's dangerous.
2: Yeah. But- it's
1: dangerous. Mag- magical thinking is da- like like the guy who, who thinks he can fly, that kind of magical thinking, he's going to fall to his death. Now, I understand that this is not what leads from Sander, but but at the extreme end, it's it's toxic, right? It's very, very dangerous. Magical thinking, oh, I don't know. This group will assimilate perfectly, right? This is magical, the welfare state's going to help the poor and affirmative action is not racist. Like magical thinking, the gov- this, this next government program is going to work. My taxes are going to good use. There's no way these services could be provided in the absence of taxation. The government is there to serve and help me. We can, we can regime change in, in the Middle East and it's going to go fantastically and like all, all ethnicities are the same fundamental. Like this magical thinking is really pathological in the West. Right. And so if it's if you don't want her to believe in magic cuz there is this word that's it's been kind of co-opted by you know gay fairy dust Disney World magic for children it's magical it's like i don't feel the magic believe in the magic and all that means is give us money what 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 does magic mean except surrender your reason to other people's benefit that, that's all I mean we understand with the state oh magical or the next government program's gonna work well. that's because they want your money they want power over you and so they will tell you to believe in magic and why does Disney tell you to believe in magic because they want you to buy their blu-rays right they want you to buy their movies they want you to go to Disney World where it's magic and, and so on it's like no it's not magic it's fireworks <laughs> It's specific. It's specifically not magic because if you try to not use reason and evidence in the production and and uh, um, uh, display of fireworks, uh, you're going to end up with a rocket in your eyeball. So, um, so that this could, magic is designed. Suspend your judgment. Suspend your rationality. It's like that. Th- there's nobody who wants to do you good who tells you to do that. Right. Right. Now, if you want generosity to transmit to your daughter, well. The best way to do that is to be generous yourself to others in her presence, to her in her presence. And children have no problem whatsoever extracting important lessons from what their parents tell them, regardless of whether their parents tell them whether that thing is true or false. I'll give you a tiny example. So when my daughter was young, younger, um, I, I read her the The Hobbit, you know, pretty sanitized version of The Hobbit. And in it, you know, Bilbo is is brave and and fights monstrous. Now, originally, when we played sort of monster games, she would run away. And then at one point, she just turned around and (laughs) fought me back, you know. And and she's like, well, that's what Bilbo did, right? Now, so she got, you know, turn and fight mentality, Uh, even if you're scared, or especially if you're scared, that's when you need the virtue of courage. She got the turn and fight mentality. She never thought that the story was true of The Hobbit, right? And I told her it was a made-up story. Right. Right? So children are very adept at extracting meaning from fiction. So you don't need for the story of Santa to be true for your daughter to get the moral of the message. And, and so the cost of pretending that it's true is trust in you, is, is the, the child-parent bond to some degree. And in her being humiliated by trusting you, right, to trust in you, which you want to be a good thing, turns out to be something that's kind of bad because she was easily taken in or whatever. So if you want to impart the lesson of Santa, or the generosity, the kindness or whatever, you don't need the story to be true to do that. And so I'm not sure why you'd want it to, why you'd want to portray it as true, given that the negatives are very significant and you don't gain any particular positive out of it at all. Because let's say your child believes, your daughter believes, ah, I should be generous because Santa, right? And then she finds out Santa is a lie. The great danger, of course, Blanche, is that she then thinks that generosity is also a lie. Does that make sense?
2: Right. My inclination is to, is to not encourage a belief in Santa. That's, that's my gut feeling, but that's like going against the grain, <laughs> you know, like people find out, Oh, you know, you, you're not encouraging the belief of Santa and you're like, you know, an awful parent, but,
1: well, hang on, hang on, hang on. What does it mean to, uh, to encourage a belief in Santa? You, you, you don't want to encourage a belief or a disbelief in anything, right? right I mean, right. my, my daughter heard, you know, we talked about Santa, uh, and, um, it's a, it's a great lesson, you know? Okay. Um, how many people are in the world? We can look that up, you know? Okay. How many houses do they live in? Uh, how many places around the world? And, and, you know, could you fly, uh, in one night to all and go down the chimney and, and, and could you eat, you know, four, four billion cookies in one <laughs> night and drink four billion glasses? Of, like you understand it. It's just, it's just a, it's a play piece for critical thinking Right. and, and, so I don't want to encourage belief or disbelief, right? I mean, that's 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 having your daughter place her faith in in authority, right? That the, oh, I have to wait to see if my parents are going to tell me whether it's right or wrong or true or false. Yeah? Right. It's a great exercise in critical thinking to look at the story of Santa, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, like for Thanksgiving, for example, she went out and she thought that Santa was coming, and so she—I don't know why, but she went outside and she was like, Santa's coming, Santa's coming. And so I took that as an opportunity to ask her, well, why, why do you think Santa's coming? And she was just, she just kind of looked at me and I was like, you know, for one, it, it's, th- it's Thanksgiving, you know? <laughs> and she, oh, but
1: hang on. Why, why did she think, why did she think Santa was a tangible person who would be coming already?
2: I don't know. What
1: do you mean you don't know? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry to be, but what do you mean? You're the parent. What do you mean you don't know?
2: Through, I'm, Just through our exposure through books
1: or through... No, 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 no. Nice try. Okay, well, help me me out. Nice try. Nice try. Look, if she thinks Santa's coming, it's because the reality of Santa has come to her through you, right? Or you haven't monitored what she's been exposed to to the point where very false ideas can take root in her as if they're true, Without your permission or explanation, right? So you've got—it's your job to know what's going into your child's mind, just as it is your job to know what's going into her body, right? Right, right. Like her food and and drink and so on. So, so my question to you is: Why did she think Santa was a real person who would arrive? Now, you didn't give her that idea. Where did it come from?
2: Well, I mean, I've been guilty of reading her books and.
1: Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> reading her books is not the problem. I don't think reading her books is ever a bad thing.
2: But so I us try mean, that I, one again. Like I haven't specifically, I mean, I haven't had any conversations with her about, about Santa being real. I haven't. So
1: who gave her the idea that he was a real person who would come? I don't know. Well, that's important, isn't it? How is your daughter being exposed to people who are telling her things that are false without your knowledge? Is it at a daycare? Is it with relatives? No, I mean,
2: we live, it's my husband and I, we live in a state where we have no family. And we have a very, very small network of friends. And I know none of them have talked to her about Santa. So it is literally.
1: Did she get it from television, movies? I mean, it it has to be there for some reason, right? Somehow she got this idea.
2: We've watched it, I mean, we've watched, like, just in the last couple days, um, I mean, she's watched, like, Frosty the Snowman, but she hasn't watched, like, a bunch of Santa stuff.
1: Is she psychic? Can she, can she get things in her mind with nobody putting them in? I mean, that's a remarkable thing, right? Somehow she got the idea that Santa was a person who would come to your house. A real thing. How did she get that idea? It's not like I'm not saying it's a disaster that she has the idea. I just think it's kind of important for you as a parent to know.
2: Well, I mean, it clearly had into to, your kid's mind. It clearly had to have come through us and something that we've exposed her to, or I mean, like the other day. I uh, just I'll, I'll give you this as an example. Last. I'm sorry night,
1: to interrupt, but uh, is, your husband's not around. Could you ask him if he knows how she got the idea?
2: Uh, he's downstairs at the moment. I mean, I know we've had very like superficial conversations with her. Like the other day, for example, she, she was asking, um, we're going home for Christmas. And so she asked uh, to my parents for Christmas and she says, uh, is, is Santa going to be there? And I, 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 I mean, I, I didn't even know what to say. I, I, I was just like, why do you think Santa is going to be there? And she says, well, he visits everybody. and, so then she started asking about milk, and she was just like, "Oh, are we gonna have milk for him?" And I'm like, I, that, this is why I, I sent this question in because I, I she's starting to ask all these questions, and I don't know what to say." <laughs> and how
1: does she know all the specifics of the story?
2: And she gets very little TV time, so it has to be through books. And you know, I Did have- she
1: read herself as yet?
2: No, I mean I'm reading the books to her.
1: Are you reading her books about Santa and saying it's real or pretending it's real? I mean, it's got to be coming from somewhere, right? These specific things, right?
2: There's a Santa Comes to Book that we read, and it talks about how he comes and visits all the kids in Virginia.
1: All right. And in that (laughs) book, Blanche, does it have milk and cookies? Yeah. Okay. So this isn't that hard to figure out where she got it from then, right? Right. Did you forget about that book while we're talking about
2: this? No, that's why I said. I said initially that it came from books that we've read.
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't come from the books. Because that's like saying my daughter believes Smorg is a real dragon because I read her The Hobbit. Right? It doesn't come from the book. It comes from how you are framing the book. Are you framing it to her as if it's true? Or are you framing it to her as a fun story that's not real?
2: Honestly, I read it just like every other book fiction book that we read I don't I don't really like explain. does she know
1: it's fiction Is she, does she think it's coming from the documentary or the fiction section in the library
2: I think she has lumped it in. I mean like she talks about like like if she sees like a little dust you know like if I don't know like if you ever like are dusting and you see like a dust in the in the in the house in the air she'll say oh that's a tinker fairy And so she calls it like a tinker fairy because like a dust fairy or whatever, like Tinkerbell or whatever. And she got that from books, you know. And so no,
1: Blanche, she did not get it from books. Do you understand? I don't know if I need to go over this again. She did not. It's not the book's fault, right? It's not the writer of the book's fault, right? I don't. I don't.
2: Uh, yeah, I I'm mean I read How I to don't Train Your Dragon her. to
1: my daughter and tell her it's a science book about real things. It's not the book that's causing it.
2: So then how do right? I, I guess, how do I, how do I separate or do I let her figure out the fiction part on her own or is like...
1: No, of course you don't. How is she supposed to know whether there's such a thing as Santa when she's three? She can't figure that out. Would you let her invent whatever words she wants for the things in the house? No. No, you tell her this is the word for chair and table and mommy's red cheeks at the moment. You you would tell her her these things, right? You don't let her figure out fire on her own, right? Or stairs without help. Right. Right? Yeah. So if you are reading a story that is made up and fundamentally that's impossible right then you tell her it's a made up story that doesn't make it any less fun of course she's no problem something doesn't lose its power with us just because it's fictional and if we need it to be true in order to have it have power it's because we don't believe whatever the moral is enough to transmit it without it without pretending something's true Right. I mean, if she's going to watch How to Train Your Dragon, she needs to be able to differentiate that from a nature documentary, right? Yes. And would you help her with that? She doesn't know. How could she? Right. So it's how you communicate what is real and what is not real. And this is a challenge for you because of your religiosity, which I think I can help you with, but I just really wanted to be clear about that, that you're holding off on what is real or not real, because you're not afraid about questions about Santa. Blanche, you know, you're afraid, and you mentioned this, you're afraid about questions about Jesus. Right? Is it fundamentally different? No. No. To walk on water or to go down chimneys around the house or to turn water into wine or to create an infinite buffet for people who've come to hear you speak or to talk to a burning bush and be taken up to the rooftop of the world by the devil and offered temptations and to drive demons into pigs and to heal the sick with a touch. and like You understand that if you give her the mechanics of figuring out what's real from what's not real, your concern is not... Santa, but God, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, these this is something that I struggle with, like, even when I'm sitting there in church. I just am kind of like, I'm uh, not quite sure I believe this. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, the story of Noah. I mean, I sit there and I'm like, I, I think about that, and I'm like, that's just as impossible as, you know, flying reindeer. I mean, but I like the, I like the, I guess some of the lessons and the motivational and like the personal growth aspect of religion and God, but I don't necessarily believe all of the biblical stories and, and all of that. I mean, I, I feel like I need to believe and I want to believe in a higher power because I feel like. I, I just feel like there's a greater purpose, you know, but all of this other stuff, I feel really, I mean, I feel really weird even talking to her about, about church, you know, I'll hear her repeat something that, you know, um, I can't remember what the phrase was the other day, but it was just like, God's way is the right way or something like that. And she repeated it. And I know that that's where she picked it up in class. Cause they give you like this little printout of what they learned and, I don't know. It just kind of bugged me. Um. So I I don't know. I mean I, I I have I have issues with with all of it. Right, right,
1: right. It's very difficult. I assume this is a Sunday school or Bible study class.
2: Um, she just goes to like a, like, yeah, like a Sunday school class. It's like 45 minutes or something like that, you know? And I, I think they're.
1: Ooh, I can hear the minimization tone in your voice already.
2: Well, I I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, to be quite frankly, I I don't know exactly what they're doing in there. Um,
1: why don't you sit in?
2: It's a good idea. I think I will.
1: Do you think they might've talked to her about Santa?
2: I don't know. I'll have to ask.
1: I mean, he was a saint. I'll
2: have to ask.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if you're ambivalent about religious epistemology or, or God, I don't know that turning your child over to religious education without sitting in yourself so that you know what to talk about uh, or, or what they talk about, I don't think that's particularly wise because you're giving other people very... A fundamental input into your daughter's personality and worldview. And she's being molded, right? I mean, she's three. Five or six, the personality becomes a lot more fixed. But at this time, she's kind of potter's clay in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And giving religious instruction that's unvetted to your daughter, because she is going to assume that you believe everything they're telling her in Sunday school. Of course she is, because why would you put her in a class with ideas that you didn't believe, right? Right. Right. I'm not, I'm not sending my daughter to Nazi school. Oh, we might have a show title. Anyway, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but right, that they could be teaching her about hell and sin and original sin and punishment and damnation. And, and I don't know, I mean, probably not, but maybe they are right. You don't know what they're putting across and you must guard your daughter's mind, particularly in the formative years and be sure that you know exactly what is influencing her, and how, and why. But you don't want to because of some reason that we don't know yet, right? I mean, when I'm saying it, it makes perfect sense, right?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. So. I was very nervous about this call. (laughs) Good. <laughs> it would husband, be no
1: it would be no it would have, have it would have no value if you weren't, right?
2: I told my husband I was like, it's very dangerous when you start like, you know, prodding into these things and then you're like afraid of like
1: Don't worry, Blanche. I have a great solution for you. <laughs> Don't the- worry. I just I need I need to figure out your level of self knowledge before I back up the truck of reason <laughs> into the solution parking spot, right? Right. So why are you handing over your daughter to be instructed in religion when you're ambivalent and you don't know what they're teaching her?
2: Because I have been, have allowed myself to be pressured by family or mm. just this, if you do not believe and you do not have your children believe, you are going to be damned. You're going to, you're going to go to hell. You're going to, you're going to be punished, you know? And I, I don't, I don't want that.
1: So, uh, is, is it your parents that are telling you that she has to go and, um, uh, learn about God, otherwise she's going to be damned?
2: No, I, I don't think they've phrased it that much. Like, I told my mom last night that I was going to talk to you and that I had kind of, like, phrased... I told her a little bit about what we were going to talk about, and she was just like, oh, you have to be teaching her about Jesus. You have to.
1: I'm sorry, who was that? My mom. Right. You have to be teaching her about Jesus, right?
2: <clears throat> yeah, she says, you have to be teaching... She, she needs to know Jesus and, you know... But I and this is like where I played devil's advocate, and I said, well, you know, why is she going to believe me about Jesus if I've been lying to her about Santa? I mean, like, well, I lose all credibility if you're going to lie about something like that. You know, why? Why am I going to then? You know, How come all of a sudden now I'm telling the truth, especially when you're talking about grand? acts of, of healing and, and, you know, animals and all, and all that. And
1: well, but why, I mean, to your mother, you could say, why, why, why does she need to be three? I mean, if you've got good arguments for Jesus, just wait till she's 18. Right? Why, why does the child have to be three to learn about these things? Do you understand?
2: Right. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a really big idea anyway.
1: Well, no, if you have good arguments, you don't need to inflict them on three-year-olds. Well, you know, by the time she's four, she's going to see right through me, so get her now, right? I mean, that is propaganda, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of of what you believe. I mean, if if I sent her to, like, I don't know, anarchy school, (laughs) whatever it was, right? I mean, that would be uh, wrong.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's brainwashing. Right. I mean, and and that's why I say... I don't really talk to her about it. I, it's very super.
1: Wait, wait, hang on. No, no, that's not a therefore, right? So it's brainwashing and therefore I don't talk to her about it. No. <laughs> Plus you also did say it wasn't your parents and then you said, actually, it's my parents. But that doesn't matter. Okay. So the point is, of course, that if you think that something negative is being done to your daughter, and I think it doesn't matter to me the content being religion or not, they're teaching a whole bunch of conclusions that have a whole bunch of reality and knowledge-based events kicking in kind of behind the scenes and they're teaching her at a very impressionable age where she doesn't have one-tenth of one percent of the intellectual ammunition she would need to push back against these ideas. She can't think about these things critically. She's in a state of complete epistemological dependence on her elders. She, She has no defenses against what is being told to her. And so saying, well, I don't want to see what's in that room because i think it's propaganda is not is not good parenting
2: right
1: right it's certainly not great parenting let's let's put it that way right
2: well and i and
1: it's not necessary
2: and i think that's why like afterwards like after church i mean and that's why that i mean that this is why i'm exploring these things because i feel like i kind of feel like a tool about it I don't. When we do talk about God or or whatever, it's it's very superficial. I don't I don't get into it because I don't want to brainwash her. But I realize that that is precisely what I'm doing by allowing her to go there, and putting her in a an environment. No, you're
1: not it. allowing her to go there. It's not like she desperately wants to go there. Well, you're putting I'm putting her, her in there. there. Yeah, yeah. You're I'm putting her there. Let's just be yeah. real clear about your choice here.
2: No, no. Yeah, I know. I'm putting her there. And so. I mean, I realize how screwed up that is. This is this is why I have all of these issues like in my mind. And, and
1: Do you want her to grow up to be as scared of you as you are of your mother? No. To be as silent and as absent from her conversations with you as you are from your mother. And I'm not saying this about your whole relationship with your mother, of course. But your mother says she needs to know Jesus and you're like, okay, I guess I'll hand her over, right? I mean, that's not being who you are. And it's not like I know that you have some th- sympathies towards religion, so I'm I know you're not an atheist and and probably not even an agnostic, so I'm fully aware of all of that. But your mother says, You got she's gotta know Jesus. You're like, I'll put her into Sunday school. I'm not I'm not gonna watch what they do to her. That is not it's not a very healthy relationship with your mother, would you say? No In this instance, right? In this regard.
2: I think with both my parents Uh, and both my parents are are very religious and we grew up Catholic and sometime around, I guess around age 12 or whatever, they decided to go to like a different church. They switched to like, you know, some Christian church where they do their hand waving and the whole nine yards, which is, uh, you know, incredibly different. And I always felt like we were forced to do the church thing. And, um, and then all of a sudden, just everything changed, you know, like the, the the setting changed, the, you know, the the environment changed, everything changed without a reason or explanation. And so I guess ever since then, I've just been really like sensitive towards, towards religion. And so now, and especially now that we've gotten older and I've had kids and, you know, I've, I have a daughter and they're just very, they're very, very, you have a conversation with them and they're very religious about everything and and i try and just stay away from it because um i don't feel the same way that they do about everything you know i don't i don't believe everything that the bible says you know it says you know spare the rod spoil the child i don't i don't believe that and
1: well the rod the rod i had a conversation recently with someone about this the rod means instruction you know, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Not that you get beaten by God. The rod means instruction. It means if you don't instruct your children on on virtue and truth, then they will be spoiled. So it's not. That's just one of these big bad mistranslations. But anyway, go on.
2: Um, but I, I don't. I don't believe everything that they do, and, and I don't know. I guess I just. I don't feel like. I, I respect them for their beliefs. You know, they have what they have. But they don't, it's not reciprocal like i I'll say that I don't believe all of those things, and then they make time to try and feel bad about it, you know, and in that sense, I still feel like it's part of I'm like part of the Catholic Church and the never ending guilt, you know and um I'm still trying to figure out my own spirituality and what I believe and and working my way through all of that you're
1: so you're on a journey as an adult, but your three year old daughter needs to be taught fundamentalist conclusions you're gonna i'm telling you blanche you were gonna pay for this down the road I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you have a good positive happy relationship with your daughter down the road you're gonna pay for this down the road because she's gonna get indoctrinated into these fundamentalist religious beliefs and you're on a journey and you're like well why wasn't i allowed to be on a journey and what are you going to say Why was I taught all these conclusions that you don't even believe? Right. Why am I being infected with sin and guilt and hell, which you don't even really believe in? Why did you hand me over to these people to tell me all this stuff was true when you don't even think it's true? You know, they do become teenagers and teenagers are very smart. And there's one thing, there's two things that teenagers do. Try to get laid and sniff out hypocrisy. Actually, I think for girls, it's the other way around. But still, (laughs) sniffing out hypocrisy is very high on the list. And Which is precisely the out. reason
2: why I called was precisely the reason why I reached out to you because I'm worried about being a hypocrite. So.
1: <laughs> right, you are a hypocrite in this yeah. area, and it's you know, listen, I say this without condemnation. It's just an identification, right?
2: Oh yeah, I mean,
1: because you are handing your daughter over at the age of three to be instructed in a belief system you don't accept because you're scared of your mom.
2: So my question is, I guess my other question is, while I'm on my journey, I mean, I'll I'll be honest, you know, I don't, I put her in that setting because I don't really, yes, I, I, like, I've taken consideration of of my parents and my family and, and what people have, you know, got into my head about about needing to teach her all those things but you know for I mean we just started going to church I would I'd say I don't know last two and a half months or so and um so she hasn't been in there very long but it's one of those things that I forgot what my, my point is but I don't remember where I was going with this Oh, okay, well, well I don't think it's journey.
1: where you were going. I think it's what you were avoiding, but okay, go like, on <laughs>
2: like on my journey okay like if i if I'm on my journey and I'm wanna explore that, what do I do with her during the services time that that's like do I just go to services by myself or do I just you know leave my husband and my daughter home and then like he catches up on his spiritual i mean like I think my my husband could do without church. So do I just go and work on my own journey and let them be on their own? Or like, I, I guess that's kind of what I'm thinking probably needs to occur.
1: You know, Blanche, when people tell me that they're working on their own journey, what I hear, rightly or wrongly, but what I hear is, I don't want to take a stand because I'm going to get in trouble. I, I need to compromise, Right. I don't necessarily believe, but my mom wants me to go and she wants my daughter to go. So I'm going to call it a journey rather than not wanting to get in trouble with mommy. It's not a journey. There's things that you fully understand are not possible and not true. Miracles by definition are impossible, right? We, we all understand that, right? So you're not on a journey as far as that goes. Now, as far as the higher purpose and stuff like that goes, I understand all of that, and that's something we can talk about. But you're not on a journey with regards to what your daughter is being taught in this school, right? Right. So that's that's not part of your journey. That's appeasement to your mom. You are sacrificing your daughter's intellectual independence, integrity, and rationality because you're scared of mommy. That's not right. That's not fair. You don't have the right to do that. You can be a coward with your mother, and that's, I guess, you and your husband's business, your business in particular, but it's you making a choice about your own brain and your own mind. You don't have the right to have your daughter instructed in things you don't believe are true in order to appease your mother because that's using your daughter. And that's the negative consequences accruing to your daughter rather than to you. Right. Right? You can choose to get fat if you want. You don't have the right to feed garbage to your daughter and she gets fat, right? <clears throat> right. So what is so scary about your mom that this seems like a reasonable course of action to you? What are the negatives if you saying, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to put her in. Bible school when she's three. She can't understand the concept. She can't understand the process. She can't understand the reasoning. She can't understand any of this stuff. And I wish you hadn't done it to me. What happens if you say that? You're not saying she's evil. You're not saying you're never going to see her again. You're just being honest if this is what you feel about your experience. What happens if you do that, Blanche?
2: You know, I disappoint her in like the worst possible way by telling her that I'm not going to raise a believer. I think her...
1: Right, you don't want to raise a believer. Right. You want to raise a thinker, right? Right. So what happens if your mother is disappointed?
2: She's just disappointed.
1: And what happens if she's disappointed? Is she not allowed to be disappointed? Is it is it the end of the world if she's disappointed? I mean, just tell me. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want to know what happens if she's disappointed. You know, uh, I get disappointed. Nobody, <laughs> nobody changes their entire lives for me. What's wrong with no, her I, being disappointed? I, mean,
2: I don't think it's like the end of the world. It's just I know that this is something that's so important to them, having their children, like, believe and securing, like, some sort of eternal life or whatever.
1: Okay, so she, that's her belief, and she's allowed to have her beliefs, and you're allowed to have your beliefs, right? Why are you not allowed to disagree with your mother in your mind?
2: I don't know. I mean, I disagree.
1: Yes, yes, you do. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't accept. If you don't know things about your mom, then there's no such thing as knowledge at all. You've had a multi-decade relationship with her. If you don't know things about, then then the, I have to shut up the whole show because there's no such thing as knowledge, right? So, why are you not allowed emotionally to disagree with your mother? What happens
3: if
2: you do? I just, I, I fail her.
1: You fail her. Okay. So you thinking for yourself is a failure in the eyes of your mother.
2: I think my doing anything for myself is a failure.
1: All right.
0: You're
1: making so you me cry. A,
2: Yeah.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me, tell me what you mean. You doing anything for yourself is a failure.
2: Just being independent, and I mean, if you look at my family, I'm the only one that has moved cross country. I moved away when I was 18. I haven't asked nor needed anything from them. And I think that despite all of my goodness, my Happiness my independence my financial stability. I think that that bothers them No matter what I do, it's not It doesn't please them So to do something To say that I don't believe and that I'm not raising my child to believe. I don't want to brainwash her. I do not want to indoctrinate her. I don't. Your daughter? Yes. And I realize that that's what I'm doing.
1: Well, it's what you're permitting. You're not doing it directly. Yeah. I mean, you're outsourcing that, right?
2: Yeah, and it's like the worst possible way, because I don't even follow up with her. I mean, like, how shitty is that?
1: And what... What do you think the principles are now let me let me start that again What happens to your relationship with your mother if you're fully and authentically yourself if you're honest with her
2: It is I don't know because I don't really feel like I have ever been completely honest I think that it is, we just don't talk about anything. It's just superficial. It's not real.
1: Right. And what happens, or what do you think would happen, what happens in your heart, Blanche, if it becomes real with your mother?
2: Then it just hurts. Not necessarily bad hurt, but.
1: Hurts like what? What hurts?
2: I think if it gets real, it gets like it's easy to be away from family now because, you know, they live all the way across the country and we live on the East Coast. And I think it's, it's like they're your family and they're there, but. It's kind of like you're just indifferent. <clears throat> so I think it. I don't know. Maybe you love harder, you hurt harder. I don't know.
1: This gets very confusing for you, right? Yeah. Right. Do you want me to give you my thoughts on this, or do you want to keep talking about your experience?
2: No, I'd like to have your thoughts.
1: All right. This is the uh, effect in your mother of, of propaganda. Propaganda hollows out your authenticity and fills you with a fragile structure of rigid conclusions. If you have been hollowed out of your true self, of your thinking self, of your empirical rational self, and you've been filled in with this house of cards of rigidity and, and you, you, you inevitably become aggressive towards others because the authenticity of others threatens the absence of authenticity in yourself. So you taught things that are not true, fundamental things about reality, about virtue, about your role in the universe you taught fundamentally false things and our authentic self is rational skeptical critical individuation is rationalization becoming rational it is philosophy and if you're filled with propaganda you can't connect with anyone because you're not there And so if you want to know, in my opinion, Blanche, why you can't be real with your mother, it's because your mother isn't real. Maybe in other areas we say you don't have real conversations with her about anything because she's filled with propaganda and she's become kind of like a machine, not spontaneous, not original, not authentic. There's no identity there. There's no process. It's all conclusions and conclusions must just be rigidly defended and inflict it. Because you have no process by which you came to those conclusions. And so you must just then inflict them on others. And these, you think of it like a virus, right? So the virus of propaganda fills the mind. And then what it must do is it must attack and oppose authenticity, which is why people who are full of propaganda, are impossible to be honest around because what happens when you're honest around propaganda bots? They get angry, they get upset, they get manipulative, they get negative, they get destructive, they get hostile or something like that. Right?
2: Right.
1: Now, the virus doesn't mind skipping a generation as long as it replicates, right? Right. So the virus of propaganda is trying to pass from your mother's mind into your daughter's mind. Now it doesn't mind if you're a carrier. In other words, the virus can't put your daughter into Sunday school. It's just a set of thoughts, right? Well, not really thoughts, (laughs) conclusions, but the virus can manipulate you into putting your daughter into Sunday school. And that's how the virus is going to be reproduced. And I'm telling you down the road, if the virus is successful, you will end up with a daughter like your mother. You will have no more rich or deep or meaningful conversations with your daughter than you do with your mother. And you will be as afraid of your daughter's disapproval as you are of your mother's disapproval. And you will hide your true self as much from your daughter as you do from your mother. And you will be bookended by these two rigid, non-personality structures that bat you around like a ball with two pinball flippers. And you wish to appease this virus, this propaganda. You wish to appease it because it can harm you. Of course it can harm you. That's how propaganda spreads through threat. Through threat of disapproval, ostracism, negativity, hostility, criticism, avoidance, neglect, withdrawal is a very big one. I'm going to purse my lips and look away. Oh, as a child, you can't stand that. No one can. We need our parents to survive. Can't survive it. So. The virus is trying to burrow down through the tunnel of time using you. You as the mechanism by which it's gonna replicate in your daughter. And the virus has your daughter standing outside your house in Thanksgiving saying, when's Santa coming? Santa's coming to our house tonight. And you cannot morally sacrifice your daughter's personality because you're scared of your mother you don't have that right obviously right i mean i mean my daughter knows about religion knows the stories knows the morals knows she she gets the benefit of these you know thousand multi thousand year old stories that have good morals in them some of them she has absorbed the morals she doesn't need to know that they're true And she can analyze and think about these things without fear of punishment or the bribery of heaven or the threat of hell. If you're programmed, you're not moral any more than a robot is moral or not moral. If you are stuffed full of propaganda, if you're stuffed full of conclusions and have no process by which you've achieved them, you're not there as a person, as a sort of living, thinking, independent person who's able to analyze the world and and understand things and reach conclusions and move forward and grow. The journey, right, what you talk about. Journey is methodology. Conclusions are destinations. And of course we need a mix, right? We can't forever be questing on everything. That's too much postmodernism, relativism, existentialism stuff for me. I'm questing. (laughs) No, at some point you gotta come to some conclusions. (laughs) but you can't use your daughter as a human shield against your mother's disapproval. Come on. That's that's not right. That's not right. You know that, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I think I know it's all not right, which is precisely why I called in. <laughs>
1: you know, I think I... What, 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 what does your husband think?
2: Um, well, I think he thought... I didn't, I had like, like the Santa part. I told him that I was talking about the Santa part and how I had mentioned religion. And, you know, I I told him that I was nervous. I said, you know, I've been, he watches you on and off, but I've watched you pretty consistently now for several years and all your parenting stuff. And so I I think he thought that, you know, that this, you know, the Santa thing was kind of superficial and you know but he wished me luck he was just like good luck <laughs> cuz he knew um you know that this conversation could get deep you know when talking about religion and um but i think he had said it's good that you think this way he says this is it's good that you think he said you know cuz i said is it is it stupid is, is this something you know am i overthinking it and he said it, it's good that you think this way so
1: but what does what does he think of your daughter going to Sunday school?
2: I don't think he particularly cares for it I
1: and what has he said about that?
2: He hasn't said much um you know, like i said we've we've been going to is for- he religious <clears throat> No,
1: you said you think your husband could do without the church? Right? Uh, yeah,
2: I think he could do without it, yeah.
1: So is he scared of you? Like you're scared of your mother? Why is he not standing up for his daughter? I don't know. I'm saying, hell no, she's not going to Sunday school. We're gonna teach her how to think and we'll tell her all about religion. We'll teach her all the morals, but no. I'm gonna t- send her to Sunday school.
2: I don't I don't know.
1: Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you don't know your husband, there's no such thing. Why mm-hmm. is he not saying no, which is another way of saying, why are you talking to me? And I'm glad you are, and I'm thrilled that we're having the conversation. But I'd much rather your husband be talking about this stuff than me. So the question is, why is he not standing up for what he believes? Doesn't mean he gets his way, you understand, but to have the conversation. I don't
2: know. He'd have to answer that question.
1: You I don't know because, the answer to that question. What happens? Be- no, what happens if he says to you, no, she's not going, then you. he puts you in a conflict course with your mother, right? It's not that complicated, right?
2: I think to an extent there's that, but I think it is more of a, if we actually talk about it, we actually have to draw a line in the sand and say.
1: Which he's fine with. Is it a big problem with his family if your daughter doesn't go to Sunday school?
2: Uh, He doesn't have any family, living family.
1: Oh, so it's not any problem for him, Right. right? Okay, so it's the problem for you. He doesn't want to put you on a collision course with your mother.
2: Or force me. Nobody to, said force no, but no, nobody said wrong, no, don't that no don't it's, it's
3: escalate that language don't escalate that language
2: it's the wrong it's the wrong word but
1: I know but it's not an accident <laughs> that you chose that word as soon as a woman says force the the white knight comes comes out and says well no, he should never but do but, that because force so huh, let me right?
2: finish, by by saying we're not going to church by if if, if they say if he says, I'm not going to church and...
1: No, no, and, we're not talking about him. <laughs> we're not talking about whether he goes to church. What were we talking about?
2: Why he hasn't stood up for himself or for For, for, for our your daughter. daughter. For our daughter,
1: yeah. He can choose to go to church if he wants, even if he doesn't believe. The hymns are lovely. <laughs> <laughs> People have asked me for a Christmas album. They just might get one. <laughs> but But... He can go to church. You, you're you adults. You can have a beer. Your daughter can't have a beer. Right? I
2: think it's, I think part of it is.
1: Why is he not saying with regards to your daughter? No, she shouldn't be going to Sunday school.
2: Because he's afraid I'm going to agree with him.
1: Why would or- he be scared of that?
2: because
1: I what's wrong What's what's wrong with your daughter what, what in his mind what's wrong with your daughter not going to Sunday school what's the problem
2: because then I know it because then it like then we all have to admit that we think it's all a bunch of hogwash and we're not quite ready to admit that yet
1: what's the we part there
2: because I think
1: it is he is, is he is he, I mean what, what negative consequences accrue to him in admitting that he thinks it's hogwash he doesn't have a family that's going to get upset you said they're not alive
2: i don't think that he i don't i don't i don't think that there are any negative consequences for him
1: okay so let's stop talking about we are going to face negative consequences only you and he's protecting you from those negative consequences he's white knighting you he's sacrificing <laughs> Aww. No, yeah, awe, but <laughs> awe is great, you know, if, there, if, if there's a, a, a bull yeah, charging right. at you and he grabs a red flag and draws it away, good for him. Fantastic. Yeah. White knighting by sacrificing a three-year-old yeah. is not heroic.
2: Right,
1: right. So you chose a man who's in this particular context as absent from you as you are from your mother. Like either he's white knighting you or he's scared of you. And often those two things are (laughs) not entirely dissimilar. But why is your husband willing to go along with this Sunday school plan when he faces no negative consequences? And he's aware of some negative consequences, I'm sure, if he, you know, if his daughter goes to Sunday school at some point. At some point, you understand, she's going to go to her father and say, Dad, what do you think of Jesus? Right? He's setting himself up for a giant problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's appeasement in the moment. Oh, let's just appease my mother-in-law. Oh boy. <laughs> not like that's ever happened before in human existence, a man appeasing his mother-in-law. <laughs> right?
2: Well, so, uh, and the funny thing is is that we're not really like, we're not really appeasing them in any aspect of our lives, except this one thing
1: your daughter's sense of reality and rationality just this one thing oh, yeah really you're not going to try and minimize this are you
2: no i'm not minimizing it. I, I i'm being are there
1: other things that your mother wants that you are fighting her tooth and nail on
2: no i guess that's why i'm like I'm 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 saying that in the sense of irony like we don't appease her anywhere else
1: but she doesn't ask you to appease on anything else right
2: I mean, we moved away without issue. We haven't moved back, you know, yeah. despite requests. So but this don't one don't thing tell me that like, this
1: is the only instance. Don't tell me this is the only instance. If this is the only requirement, right? A hundred percent of the things that your mother wants you to compromise on, you're compromising on. hundred percent, right?
2: I'm compromising. I'm compromising. Well, like,
1: compromising a nice way of saying sacrificing your daughters in Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. So, no, it's not ridiculous. If it was ridiculous, I, we wouldn't be having this lengthy a conversation, right? It's not ridiculous. Right? It's not ridiculous. Maternal influence is very powerful. The entire planet, Blanche, revolves around the gravity well of the original womb. Mothers have extraordinary power, and we all know what they say about power and corruption, right? I don't think it has to be that way, but often it is. You have been unconsciously demanding of your husband that he not put you on a collision course with your mother in this area and he is saying, okay, good luck. He is stepping back and absenting himself from the intergenerational estrogen battle over the mind of your daughter, of his daughter. He is stepping back and letting the Elemental Gaia's go at it, right?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And if he were here, I'd say don't do that. You know, women need leadership. Men need leadership as well. I mean, this is not a patriarchal thing, but men need leadership and women need leadership. Wherever we have our blind spots, we need our friends and our family and our loved ones to step in and hold our integrity tight, hold us to our own integrity. We all have blind spots, right? It's the old definition of satire that people can see everything in the mirror except themselves, (laughs) right? So we all have blind spots. And it seems to me that you have a blind spot with regards to your mother and you have a conflict avoidance trained for many decades, not that many, you're young, but (laughs) trained for decades with your mother that you don't want to get into any kind of existential conflict with your mother and your husband is perfectly willing to let that happen because if you get into a conflict with your mother because your husband is pushing you to act with more integrity, who's going to end up wounded? Him. <laughs> yeah exactly. You, that didn't take very long, did it right
2: <laughs> and, yeah.
1: and how would that play out, Blanche? How do you think that would play out? Yeah, I'm sorry, I have a headache. you know how, how would that play out, do you think? Yeah. I mean, would you take the V off the table for a while?
3: <laughs> Who knows, right?
1: But he would he would pay, probably. that's what he thinks, right?
2: Yeah. Somehow. Be blamed. And how would that? Probably. How would he? How would he? Pick? I th- I think I think he would probably feel blamed, but like, I I would like responsible for. Yeah. Okay, that's a nice
1: way of no. That's that's guilty. that's a that's a that's a responsibility-avoidant way of saying you would blame him. Oh, he would feel blamed.
2: <laughs> no, oh well, yeah. I mean, blame
1: him. Or your mother would blame him, and then she'd fuel you up against him. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's. That, that, yeah I mean I'm being honest it, that, that's what it would and that's probably why he's like avoided this whole thing and let me come to these conclusions on my own and I'm glad that they're coming here and I'm thinking about this stuff now as opposed to 60 years from now as uncomfortable right. as it is oh
1: it won't be that long Listen, I'm telling you, (laughs) Blanche, in 10 years, she's going to be 13. And she's going to be smart as a whip. And uh, she's going to be like a cheese grater on all your beliefs. That's what teenagers do. I've seen it a million times. I was that way. And if teenagers, if you as a parent, if teenagers weigh you in the balance and find you wanting, you are in for a rough ride for the teenage years. A very rough ride. They get bigger and smarter and we get older and slower.
2: Well, I think I knew all this kind of going into it, which is why I was like, "I'm so nervous! <laughs> I'm so nervous about the show." But I, I <laughs> you know, I was, I was talking to my boss, and I was telling him, and he was just like, "You know that this isn't really anything to do with Santa." He's like, "It's got everything." Can I
3: tell you, you what?
1: I would, uh, can I tell you what I would say if I were your husband? What? Are you ready?
2: <laughs> <laughs> sure.
1: I would say this, Blanche, so you and your mom, fight, 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 fight,
3: fight, 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 (laughs) fight. Combat, baby!
1: Get it all out of the open and I'd be sitting there saying, oh, so you want my daughter to go to Sunday school? Do you know your daughter doesn't believe very much of that and I believe even less? So no, we're not going to put her <laughs> into Sunday school because I don't want to teach her things that I'm doubtful about as if they're true because that's just going to have a giant FU intergenerational conflict that's going to be even worse than the one you're about to have with your daughter, granny, <laughs> right? And you'd sit them down and say, okay, well, let's have it out. But let's, we're not what we're not going to do is put my daughter into Sunday school to appease – the bigotry of an old woman. Right? And that's not going to happen. Now, let's have that conversation. You can get upset, you can get angry, and whatever it is. But it is... Uh,
2: I mean, we're not it, doing it with it would her.
1: Be, it would, no, we, we have this fight in the open. We don't use a goddamn three-year-old as a human pawn and sacrificial animal for an old woman. Sorry. She's only three, and it's our job as parents to defend her mind, to defend her integrity, her capacity for thought and reason and empiricism and identity and selfhood. So if we got to have a fight, we're going to have a fight. But what we're not going to do is sacrifice my daughter at the age of three to something I don't get behind intellectually. I mean it's, Now, it's, you didn't choose. I'm not sure how mm-hmm. common men like that are in the world, but you didn't choose one at the moment. doesn't mean he can't become one, and I hope he'll listen to this, and maybe he'll call in. I don't know. I would love to chat with him, but no, he needs to stop serving you, or at least stop serving your fear and start serving your greatness. Your mom might get upset with you. You're not three anymore. You're 33. And the fact that you at 33 are talking about this when your daughter's three is probably not an accident. Probably something happened when you were three. These things have echoes that roll through the generations and through the unconscious. But, um, so you have a fight with your mom. So what? Have you never fought with your mom?
2: No, we fight about her education already. <laughs> I your mean,
1: daughter's education?
2: <laughs> yeah, we're. <laughs> we're a, go on we're a planning on homeschooling and um you know my mom was an educator and so i mean just full-on indoctrination you know the i mean that that's what she did and so when she hears that i don't want we don't want to put our daughter in that system which i realize again the hypocrisy of i don't want to put my child in public education or but I'm going to throw her in Sunday school. Like I realize the hypocrisy of it. Like I, I'm aware of it. Um, but with regard to her education, I have felt easier. I, I've felt easier de- defending m- myself and our decisions and, and our position. I, I haven't really struggled with that nearly as much as I have. But
1: that's in the future. Right. It's easy to win a battle that hasn't really come yet, right? And every surrender makes the next surrender easier. So if you surrender on Sunday school, won't it be a little easier to surrender on public school? And the fact that your mom was a public school teacher.
2: No, like in my mind. The virus
1: may have found an efficient ground zero. Anyway, go on.
2: Like, education is, is not something I'm willing to compromise on. I mean... There's no,
1: no. You are. Yeah. What do you think Sunday school uh, is? No, I know. Uh. <laughs> it's, it's not a squash game. It's not rock climbing. <laughs> right? It's education and a more foundational education. I mean, fundamental education than government school. Government to school doesn't tell you there's a higher reality and you're going to go to hell or heaven and there are angels circling and prayer, right? In terms of your daughter's perception of basic reality, it's being shaped right now, permanently, if you don't fix it right now.
2: So how do I fix it?
1: Well, how honest do you want to be? (laughs)
2: You laugh. <laughs> uh.
1: I'm gonna assume your daughter is smart. I think so. Well, you gotta take her I mean you've you, you, you you've gotta take control of her religious education for sure, right? Right. And that means don't put her in an environment where you don't know what the hell she's being taught literally, right? <laughs> and You have to be very clear with her about what's real and what's not. And you have to remind her that what's not real can have great and deep impact. You can be inspired by fictional characters. You know, when I first read Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, I read it two days straight. Summer's evening, I felt chilled to the bone and had to put a blanket on. It was that terrifying a story. Oh my God, I remember reading Stephen King's Pet Sematary when I worked as a gold panner up north in the middle of nowhere. One night in a tent on my own, I'm reading Pet Sematary. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> and we can be inspired by fiction. We can be morally instructed by fiction. We can extract fairy tales. Everybody knows that they're fictional. How many times have I referenced the, the grasshopper and The Ant a bunch of times on this show. It's a fantastic way to communicate a basic idea about the difference between R and K selection. But anyway, we can get amazing and wonderful and powerful. Like I just had a conversation with Dr. Duke Pesta about the ethics of Christianity. Blew my mind. I mean, the things that we were batting back and forth, fantastic. It gave me an incredibly deep understanding of Christian ethics and also my ethics and and what sin means in a secular context. Great. He's religious. I'm not. What a great conversation we had. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess
2: my question, help
1: dif- no, hang on, help, just help her to differentiate between truth and falsehood. And at some point, I don't know where your daughter's at and, and what your communication with her is like, but at some point you're going to need to deconstruct what she was taught and you're going to have to apologize to her for putting her in a school where they were teaching her foundational metaphysics without you knowing what was going on. That was irresponsible of you. As parents, as both of you, it was r- irresponsible of both of you. Uh, you need to apologize right. to her about that at some point. I don't know if it now or at some point, but you don't want to just change things fundamentally uh, without saying why, because then the child feels that things are random, right?
2: Uh-huh. Like how my parents did with me. Yeah.
1: If they did, then sure.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> so Sorry, I guess you were gonna say something. I guess my question is: Is it possible to be religious but to still be like questioning? your faith in what you believe?
1: I don't think you're religious if you're not questioning your faith in what you believe. You're dogmatic. And to me, dogma is not the same as religion. And I don't want to get into a whole thing about this because it's a great topic for a show as a whole. But um, if religion is a mechanism of implanting moral values into people prior to philosophy, then it's a worthwhile and necessary part of the evolution of who we are. And philosophy has done a pretty piss, jo- piss poor job of implanting objective morals and ethics into people. And so right now, religion is the best method that people know of, of implanting values into others, for better or for worse. So I would no more imagine not teaching my daughter about religion than I would imagine not teaching her about history as a whole. That's where we came from. It's important. It's essential. So yes, the the religious people that I know of, of course, are wrestling with the challenges of of faith and science and reason and mysticism, of course. But the moment you stop thinking, you start dying. And you may stay alive for another 60 years, but it doesn't cover the stench.
2: I just don't want to be su- superficial and like complacent and like, oh, okay, I'm at my destination. This is what Am I... I-
1: Am I superficial and complacent? No. Am I religious? No. So let's not straw man. Don't straw man me, sis.
2: <laughs> no, but I mean by like.
1: No, you're scaring. This has nothing to do with your sense of complacency. It's your mom. Come no, on. No,
2: I know. No, I know that. What I'm saying is like I don't like. I don't want to be like a religious person that is complacent.
1: No, you want your daughter to be a religious person who's complacent because you're only giving her one perspective. No, listen, you're not going to be complacent. But the thing is, you also need to sit down with your husband and say, why didn't you have my back with regards to your daughter? Because there's something here which we need to examine. Why the hell is your husband not standing up for his daughter? You're the one who's got the hot button from the mom. Right. She's got the electrical death buzzer in your heart, which all parents do. And so the question, you need to sit down with him and say, why didn't you have my back on this? Why is, like, I've got the thing with my mom. I can't be expected to be sensible about that. And no one is sensible <laughs> about their own moms, you understand, right? Yeah, right. Right? She's in my head, right? I mean, I, I can't be sane with my mom to sa- save my life, right? Me, 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 you, anyway. It's the way things are. <laughs> and even if you have a good mom, <laughs> it's pretty hard to be. Anyway, so you got to sit down with your husband and say, okay, so why? Why did your daughter end up, in Sunday school, when you don't believe, right? Why he needs to know that because you need to trust him to watch your back. We all want what we want in the moment, and later we wish other people had told us no.
2: Yeah, right? Right. Yeah.
1: Of course. Right. I wish. I wish someone had you know sit there with emphysema. I wish. I wish my friends had slapped every cigarette out of my hand. Right. So there's a lot of fantastic conversations that come out of this. You need him to help you with your mom. You really need him. You need his strength. You need his masculinity. You need his leadership to help you with your mom. And the reasons why he's not doing that has to do with his mom and who raised him. It's, and, and the lack of self-knowledge. But, and, the, and the reason I'm saying this is that there are lots of men out there who are in the same boat. And I've, I've tried that. I'm going to be a helpful, invisible patriarch of providing. And I'm not going to interfere or cause my, my girlfriend or my wife to be upset. At any, like, we all, I mean, everyone's, that's sort of how we're programmed, right? And it's kind of what society demands. And, you know, that the, the male is there as a utility resource for everyone and tries to interfere with a, as little as possible and so on. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You need him to be your rock. I mean, he needs you to be his rock. I'm sure there are areas where he's blind as a bat as well. But you need to be able to trust him. And in this area... You both failed. He has less excuse for failing because it's not his mom.
2: Well, all I can say is thank God I'm thinking now.
1: <laughs> Good. And, and, and great call. I mean, how was it for you? I mean, I hope I'm not coming across negative or anything. I'm, I deeply sympathize with these situations.
2: No, I, I think it's great. But I mean, it's, it's like I said like I was crafting the message in the email, right? And like I'm just going to be honest, I was crafting the message and I was like, I can just keep this about Santa. Yeah, good luck. I, and I was just going to keep it about Santa, right? And gentle parenting and trust issues and just going to keep it at that. And then you'll notice that the, it was a second paragraph and I said, as I should I should mention. So I knew I didn't I didn't I needed to be real I even struggled being real in the freaking email like I almost like didn't submit the second part of the question because I was afraid of having the conversation but I did it because I know deep down that what I'm doing it doesn't feel right to me and I just needed to have somebody help me through that to see it and and I want to listen to it again and you know, our conversation again and sit down, have my husband listen to it and we can talk about it. And, but I think I know that it's wrong and what I'm doing is wrong. That's why I don't talk to her. I I mean, we come back from school, uh, from church and I don't talk to her about it because, because I know you don't want to know because I don't want to know because
1: you don't want to know. You don't want to know because then what's going to happen is you're going to feel bad about it.
2: Yeah. And, that's and then shitty. you're going to
1: have to, she's going to say, well, what do you think mommy? And and then what do you lie? I mean, it's a mess, right?
2: Yeah. So I think I know all of these things, but I had to get to a point and it's been years and years in the making of trying to get here. I mean, I, I think I've been watching your show for many years now and you've changed me and my helped change me and my outlook and my thinking and my brain and every day i i feel like all the synapses are go- are going off and i just i feel more awake and i think i just needed the conversation to help me come to terms with what i already know but i'm too afraid to allow myself to express
1: Right. No, and and this is advanced philosophy, right? I mean, this is why it's a, a real pleasure. I mean, I, I enjoy talking to everyone on the show, but it's a different kind of pleasure when people have been listening for a while and we don't have to go over the one hundred ones. So no, it's uh, it's great, uh, and um, it's uh, <coughs> you know I'm I'm half talking to you, half talking to your daughter through you, right? Oh, you're, you're right. so um, no, I think it's uh, it's great what you're doing, and religion has. great power uh, and religion has um, a great defense against destruction which secularism has been unable to reproduce and um, and there's a reason why the social justice warriors infected the democrats and not the republicans because the republicans had god and it obviously was enough to keep them immune at least from that kind of attack and they don't choose by accident and uh, if i have to choose between Christianity and Islam, it's not that tough a choice for me. I always thought the choice was between religion and reason, but it may not be. It may be a choice between communism and Christianity, uh, at least as to where we are at the moment. And uh, I will choose Christianity over either communism or Islam for obvious reasons. So, um, yeah, good for you. Good for you for bringing this stuff up. And uh, I appreciate the openness of the call.
2: Yes. Yes. Thank you. Well, I'll talk to my husband and see if he wants to call in and. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Let me know. Let me know how it goes uh, either way. Right. All right.
2: Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right.
1: Thanks, Blanche. Uh Great call. Thank you.
0: All right. Up next, we have Brandon. Brandon wrote in and said, The past eight years have resulted in incredible losses for the Democratic Party, and many revelations that have come out from this recent election have done great damage to the party and its institutions. After hearing about the internal strife going on in the GOP from the mainstream media for years upon years... Are we likely to see a similar upset within the Democratic Party? Where do you think the Democratic Party will go from here?
3: That's from Brandon.
1: Hi, Brandon. How are you doing?
3: Hi, I'm doing all right.
1: Good, good. Well, they're going to double down and self-destruct with any luck. Um, they don't have the option to back down. They don't have the option to... I mean, this is from Vox Day's Social Justice Warriors Always Lie. It's a great book. Uh, the Social Justice Warriors, people on the left, they always double down. Now, listen, uh, the the end of the Democratic Party, uh, you know, let's not uh, get complacent and assume that everything (laughs) is hunky-dory, done and dusted, (laughs) as they they say. Um, You know, they still have demographics on their side, right? They still have a higher birth rate among the immigrants that um, they have brought into the country. Uh, You know, they've taken California, which is an incredible thing when you think about it. I mean – Oh, uh, California. California has produced uh, Richard Nixon and, and uh, Ronald Reagan and a lot of Republicans never again, at least in the foreseeable future. So they've taken the uh, the left coast, so to speak, and uh, they've taken a lot of the major cities and uh, they still have the media and they right. So it depends what happens in Trump's first term. I mean, if he's going to do this deportation, if he's going to fix anchor baby stuff, if he's going to restrict immigration, if he's going to do all of that kind of stuff then um then we can start to tentatively raise our happy hats of cheer but um right now uh it is still you know they're, they're a dying beast but a dying beast is still is still dangerous and uh we don't know if it's going to recover as much yet on on the plus side they did re- re-elect Nancy Pelosi as the head dem in uh, in congress and that's just Man, that's hey! You led us to staggering defeats. Do you want to be in charge again? <laughs> sure, why I, not?
3: Uh, yeah, and it's it's amazing. Uh, I, I I couldn't believe it uh, just because I think uh, I know I looked at some numbers that uh, suggested that you know Barack Obama has the largest number of seats lost of any uh, oh, yeah. He's any been leader a complete ever. Disaster. Yeah, a total uh, complete disaster for the party. I mean, even uh, Richard Nixon, I think, was in the number two now. And he's lost somewhere, I think it's north of 950 seats over yeah. the eight years that he's been in power. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, the
1: affirmative action candidate uh, didn't work out. And, you know, it's funny how the, the party of government workers doesn't have any clue when to fire someone. Of course they don't. How could they, right?
3: Uh, no, and. Uh, well, I, I think, uh, you know, one of one of the other uh, issues re- related to this that I kind of wanted to bring up was uh, I think it's uh, interesting to look at some of the uh, different uh, identity politics trends that are coming up. You know, like you said, you mentioned uh, Vox Day's book, uh, SJWs Always Lie. I happened to finish that book. I think uh, it was two weeks ago. I think it was right before I asked this question. And I got to the part about, uh, you know, SJWs always double down. And I think that is exactly what we've seen uh, post-election, uh, especially with the, uh, the Trump, uh, protests, uh, all the di- denial that goes on. Uh, and we've seen them, uh, just keep going with the same failed strategies that, uh, kind of got them to, to this point to lose the election. And I think begin to lose ground in other areas. But like you mentioned, I, Don't really want to, you know, raise a cup to victory yet because I think there's still a lot of work to do. But I think it's also an exciting time, uh, you know, to be involved in this process because I think the 2018 midterm elections will be, um, something to follow very closely. And I think it really depends on how these first year, two years of a Trump presidency really looks and how that's going to mold, um, these 2018 elections. Well, and
1: Obama is going to go down as probably, I don't know, it d- depends how you measure it, but uh, completely disastrous. And, and he, he's completely blind to this, right? So he did a press conference in Greece um, just a week after the last election saying, yeah, people think I did a pretty good job as president. <laughs> it's like, no, if people are thinking they get, they know. So he says that the U.S. is indisputably better off because of him. And uh, I don't know if it's because he can't count or doesn't recognise that there's a little thing called debt, but uh, yeah, I mean, nine point nine nine trillion at the end of fiscal year two thousand and eight to almost twenty trillion at the end of twenty sixteen. <laughs> I mean, two hundred nineteen years from seventeen eighty nine to two thousand and eight to get to nine to get to ten trillion dollars, and then eight years to get to twenty. Um, he's he's got the worst economic growth of any president since Herbert Hoover. Right. Which is sort of post-war and uh, boom and and depression and all this kind of crap. Right. And uh, he's just it's just been absolutely uh, terrible. And the, he, now they say the unemployment rate has declined. But if you borrow enough money and print enough money, then you can stimulate the economy. And, you know, but all of the debt is deferred unemployment. So. Yeah, I mean, and also, of course, you know, uh, the number of people that has uh, gone out of the workforce is huge, right? And they don't count as unemployed. Plus, of course, people have crappy part time jobs instead of real full time jobs, some people working too. So uh, well, well, it is uh, just terrible. And the median household income is completely stagnant uh, in real terms. And uh, with the debt, you know, home, home ownership rate has gone down 67.3% to 63.5%. Health insurance rates have gone through the roof between oh nine and 2016. And anyway, I could go on and on, but uh, uh, he's just been a complete disaster. Food stamps, people going from 32 million to 43.6 million, an increase of 11.6 million in, in food stamp consumption. I mean, it's he's uh, uh, a complete disaster. And that disaster, and not to mention what hell has gone on in terms of foreign policy, Uh, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, he's a complete disaster and and, and people get that instinctively, but the media couldn't allow him to fail at first half black president can't be allowed to fail. So anyway,
3: uh, yeah, I know it's, uh, you know, my, my favorite, um, statistic with jobs has to be that, uh, you know, you slash one full-time job down into two part-time jobs and you've basically, you know, doubled the number of job creation in America despite everyone else. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's so obvious. Uh, and I think that, um, people in the U S it's just easy to see how uh, just economically uh, worse off uh, everyone in the country is. And I think that's, again, that's part of the reason why uh, you saw a Trump victory was just the amount of um, economic insecurity that you're seeing, uh, especially amongst, uh, you know, uh, Midwest, Rust belts, um, uh, amongst, you know, these working class whites in particular, which is, Probably the reason that I thought it was so amusing to see uh Democrats and just double down like we knew they would. Like we knew they would on uh Well they're they're assuming
1: that but they're assuming that demographics will take over and they'll be back, you know, lickety split. But I you know, more concerned for me about the economy is the festering state of race relations pushed to a new low by the great instigator and race baiter and divider barack obama and the media i mean it's amazing that they've just gone completely nuts
3: yeah it's amazing that um you know i mean what did they say when he get when he got elected in 2008 that he would uh you know i mean i I, that's all i ever heard was that he would be a like new direction for relations in america yeah a healer a healer that and you know (laughs)
1: Now he has no interest in healing race relations he has only interest in causing racial disruption uh, racial animosity uh, uh, from blacks towards whites that's that's all he's just like bellows with his eloquence and with his money uh, just continuing to uh, to to do drive a wedge between blacks and whites to to rouse up uh, black resentment and black rage uh, and boy it is going to take a long time for that fire to even begin to cool
3: Right and and that's something that I you know I would so much rather that everything ends, you know, in a sort of a peaceful political process as opposed to what we see in these other, uh, you know, ethnic nationalist uh, conflicts that we see go on. You know, the last thing that I would want to see is what happened in the Balkans, you know, here in the U.S. or, you know, any any conflict like that. We've seen what happens looking historically, and it is not pretty. Right. So no,
1: I, I I think that if the Trump administration does half of what they claim to do, and particularly in the realm of deportations and immigration control, then there is a possibility of a return to some kind of rationality and normalcy in American politics. But um, you know the left never sleeps; they're they're plotting, they're planning. You know they're they're trying this uh, recount uh, crap and oh, and God. all of this. And oh yeah, I mean this is I mean they. Yeah, And the hypocrisy – but the wonderful thing is the hypocrisy of the left is becoming blindingly obvious and there's still enough sensible people in America that that, uh, it matters. You know, like you go to the third world, the hypocrisy is pretty clear. They don't even try and hide it. The corruption is blatant and, you know, everybody just accepts that's the way things go. It's the same thing is true in many places in Central and South America and uh, in India it's particularly bad uh, and other places. But, um, yeah, I mean they – The social justice warriors don't take over an institution, as I've made the case before, in order to reform it or to improve it. Uh, They take it over in order to destroy it. The end goal of the people who've infiltrated the Democrat Party in the United States uh, is the end of democracy, right? That they wish to have a uh, totalitarian, secular dictatorship, Marxist in in form and, and, uh, I guess, proletariat baiting in in, uh, content. And this is why they ally themselves with – with the Muslims so much, because both have as their enemies ideologically Christianity, right? The Marxists hate the Christians and the Muslims hate the Christians. And so they ally themselves to destroy Christianity, which is um, one of the bulwarks against totalitarianism in the West. And uh, I will have to hold that guilt as having done some stuff to undermine uh, Christianity. Uh, and I still can't become a Christian uh, I, I until anything directly happens to me. God, come on down and <laughs> give me a sign, um, hopefully on video. But... Um, uh, but I do have uh, and I don't uh, feel happy about the degree to which I scorned Christianity and did what I uh, did in the past two weaken in Christianity. And uh, I hope that people are, you know, have accepted my apology and uh, are accepting uh, the respect and, and uh, visibility that I give to Christians uh, on this show. And um, that uh, the goal is, is not to elevate the Democratic Party, but to use the Democratic Party as a kind of bomb against the Republic um, and uh, you know like uh, the, the the guy who was the kamikaze in uh, in the Pacific in the Japanese uh, Air Force uh, in, towards the end of the Second World War his goal wasn't to land his goal was to use the plane, destroy the plane, and hopefully take out his enemy. So, yeah, they've they've hijacked, and the, the communists have been all over the American government since the 1930s, uh, and uh, I think that the, the lefties and the lunatics are all over the mainstream media and all over the Democrat Party, and they're doing that because they wish to use the remaining political weight of the uh, Democratic Party to destroy the remnants of the free market, to destroy the remnants of uh, uh, the bourgeois, the middle class, uh, the capitalists, uh, and... Uh, You know, they're they're a patient bunch and they're a plotty bunch. And, you know, we all have jobs to do and (laughs) families to raise and and all of that. And uh, they just have this like monomaniacal drive for power, which is why when there's a state, you'll generally get this kind of aggregation in power. But uh, yeah, the Democratic Party is simply the vessel by which the left is hoping to destroy uh, freedom and uh, uh, virtue and uh, liberties in america they have no interest in improving it any more than the uh kamikaze pilot has an interest in flying the plane back yeah i mean l- l- they're defending castro for god's sakes they attack trump and defend castro that tells you everything you need to know about justin trudeau
3: <laughs> yeah no god yeah his that response it's like well it's no wonder that he was a president for so long when you hold a single party and no open elections for you know 50 some odd years it's you know it's a uh, he, what, what a great
1: leader he was, Castro, because boy, he, he just, he stayed in charge of the country for 50 years. You know, I'm not a good husband if I lock my wife in the basement for 50 years and then claim that she never divorced me. You know, God almighty. Uh, well, turns out that uh, being a drama teacher and a skateboarder, not that great <laughs> for international politics. Oh, the himbo, the himbo doth speak. Anyway, sorry, go on.
3: No, uh, gosh, there's no, there's a lot to process in uh that last statement too. But, you know, I, I, I empathize with most of that. You know, I had, a, I, I, you know, I was the same way, um, especially, uh, towards Christianity, you know, I went through that whole, uh, you know, was it four horsemen of atheist phase, you know, where, and then I realized that, uh, none of, uh, I guess at the time friends or allies on the left, you know, uh, they didn't really, uh, seem to, uh, want to join me in criticizing islam that much it was but you know they were right there whenever i wanted to say something nasty about christianity but boy the minute right. i brought anything up about you know islam or uh that that whole ideology yeah, i uh and i was sorry world. to interrupt but 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 the left
1: uh, of course if you're into gay rights you have to be somewhat skeptical of islamic theocracies who you know regularly throw gays off buildings and and Give them lashes and sentence them to prison and, and kill them in other ways. But the left, of course, doesn't care about homosexuals. They care that homosexuality allows them to troll Christians, right? That, that, that they don't care about the gays any more than they care about the women. They care about the fact that women, single women, vote for the left, right? So they'll work to break up families so that single women will vote for the left, so that they can get the kind of dictatorship that they want by expanding leftist control over the... But they don't care about the minorities. They don't care about... I mean, if they cared about minorities, I mean, look at how blacks were treated in the Islamic slave trade. Tens of millions castrated and murdered by the Islamic slave trade. And I don't know that there's a lot of apology tours from the the heads of the Islamic countries. So they they don't care about any of that stuff. They care about it as a weapon by which to trawl... The Christians. And if you want to understand the left, just say, what is going? what can they use to trawl Christians? Well, they'll use those things, but they don't care about them uh, at all as, as issues. They simply care about them as weapons against the monolith of Christianity that stands between them and the ring of power they so desperately want.
3: Right. And, uh, you know, that brings up a couple uh, interesting points. And I know – I don't know if it's still the case, but I remember hearing uh, whispers a couple years ago that uh, you had a lot of um, – I guess – what do they call them now? Uh, LGBTQ – people um who were uh in Europe who were starting to drift towards what they called these far right nationalist parties more and more because sure. yeah as soon and it, again it's one of those things where uh you know I told some of my leftist friends that they couldn't understand and it's like well no because all of a sudden it becomes so much easier to just pan to the uh you know the uh, Muslim immigrant vote than it is to the comparatively smaller LGBTQ vote that they have in Europe and that of course there's going to be so much conflict there that you're just gonna see uh, the parties there just push out that interest group in favor of the larger one because they can wield power with that
1: right right and of course what they don't understand is that uh, the groups they ally themselves with will probably be their undoing but you know they're they're addicts so they're not smart right I mean they're addicted to power and power lust and therefore they're not making intelligent decisions um, they're simply pursuing their Addiction uh, at the expense of all reason, and in fact, long term survivability, even of themselves. I mean, h- how do you think communists are going to do under Sharia law, people? <laughs> I mean, come on, come on. You know, I mean, if, um, uh, if, if the demographics are correct, and, and let's say France is a generation or two away from an Islamic majority, well, France has nukes. And then what? <laughs> so anyway, um, is there anything else you wanted to mention? I'm going to move on to the next call. Uh, I,
3: you know, I, I think the, the one thing that I wanted to mention there is, uh, you know, I, I'm starting to see I saw an article last week that uh, was saying that I think Simone Sanders was her name. She's the she was Bernie Sanders. Um, I think she was Bernie Sanders campaign manager. And, uh, she, you know, she came out saying about how they wanted to ch- she felt that they, they wanted to change Democrat Party leadership. Towards, you know, more females, more minorities. And then here again, I saw another article just this evening uh, where, again, another uh, black woman was coming on saying that they need to have this change in Democrat Party leadership. And I think, it, you know, if that's the case, then are we just going to start seeing again, like the Democrats really just kind of make a push towards uh, eliminating whatever white vote they have left? No, and, and good.
1: Fantastic. I mean, I hope that they pursue those policies and I hope that they triple down on those policies, not because I have any problem seeing blacks or women in charge. I think that's fine if they're competent, but if they're going to exclude whites from the leadership then they're excluding a huge talent pool. And by definition, they're going to end up with worse people in charge, just by definition. Like if, you ex- if, if two-thirds of the population is black and you exclude blacks from your leadership, then you're going to end up with lower quality applicants. You need to have as wide a talent pool and choose the very best from that talent pool. And a meritocracy is the opposite of this affirmative action. And anybody who's for affirmative action is simply confessing that the people can't compete without government power. So I hope that they triple down on this affirmative action stuff. Um, now I do have I have had a few thoughts about whether Trump might be affirmative actioning his way out of some sort of uh, media criticism but I'm gonna just assume that the people are competent and if they're not then he's gonna fire them but uh, no I think that if they want to do more affirmative action on the left mwah, fantastic let's get more affirmative action in universities because uh, the more ridiculous and partisan and and hysterical and insane and deranged the universities become like hey Ohio Staters I bet you all pro-immigrant why don't you just go to your safe space to avoid Machete Boy. But um, no, I want more affirmative action uh, in business because that will destroy corrupt businesses and liberate um, uh, the resources to, to more sensible and rational businesses. I want more affirmative action uh, in universities so that when their funding eventually gets cut, people will mourn it, not at all. And I certainly want as much affirmative action as humanly possible. I, I like. I want them to ju- like, have one... Um, I don't know, black lesbian who likes to write, likes to ride goats. Uh, you know, that that, the, that that's the talent pool I want them to draw from. You know, it could be a, a green-eyed guy uh, who's really into Yeti porn. Like, I don't care what – just narrow down that talent pool as much as humanly possible and choose your leaders from that. That is absolutely, uh, completely and totally wonderful, and that's what they should be pursuing. And the fact that they are doubling down on that is a huge relief for me. If they'd learned their lesson and tried to figure out how to appeal to the mainstream and they'd widened their talent pool and they'd overturned their existing leaders, and they would really looked into their mirror and figured out where they went wrong, we could be in trouble. But uh, um, I think they've been relying so long on the vicious verbal abuse of the mainstream media and on the cross-your-fingers hope for the outbreeding of Republicans in their demographic policies, they've completely forgotten how to think. And uh, so, therefore, this seems like a very good plan to them, and I applaud them and hope that they quadruple down on that.
3: No, I I, I completely, uh, you know uh share <laughs> I really hope they do the same thing too. I hope they keep just keep uh doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down, uh, you know, and just we kinda accelerate themselves towards that kind of self destruction. You know, I think we already are beginning to see hints of it here with uh white women. Uh, especially with that uh, the spread that they had going for Trump, which I didn't see coming. I didn't think it would be
1: fifty three. Well, you mean so. mostly married white women? I think the single singletons still went for a repub- uh, for the Democrats.
3: Well, true, but uh, you know, it's you can only I think for a lot of those married white women, you know, you can only demonize their sons, their husbands, their brothers, their fathers for so long before eventually, you know, they were gonna they were gonna strike back. Well, yeah, I think that uh,
1: women know they live longer and they know that the um, government doesn't have enough money to pay for their retirement. And so they understand that if women and men still get set against each other so much, there won't be any kids to pay the taxes they need to live off when they get old. So maybe it's more noble than that, but we'll <laughs> we'll see. All right. I'm going to move on to the next call. Sorry, did you want to say something else? Oh, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. All right. Thanks for a great question. Uh, I hope you found it helpful. freedomainradio.com slash donate is the place to go to donate to the show. Uh, and also, you can use our affiliate link, you know, Xmas uh, season coming up. Uh, and if you've got some shopping to do, please uh, help us out. doesn't cost you anything. Go to fdrurl.com slash Amazon. And, of course, follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux and fdrpodcast.com to share the shows. Of course, if you're on YouTube and you like the show, please subscribe and share and do all of that kind of other juicy and wonderful stuff. But most importantly, freedomainradio.com slash donate. Thanks, everyone. Mwah! So much for a wonderful evening. I'll talk to you soon.